You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. And now, for a break from our regular programming for this special Supernatural episode, Holly's Hauntings. Welcome back to the Sirens podcast. Today we're doing our yearly Holly's Hauntings special for spooky season. And it's also a special episode because this episode marks our three-year podversary. And we thought that it was only appropriate to have Holly back on I want to thank you guys just real quick for sticking with us for three years. It has been absolutely insane. I started this podcast in October of 2019. We weren't even doing Holly's Hauntings at that point, but we started on, I think our first episode release was on Halloween night. I created Holly's Hauntings that second year to kind of commemorate our start because I don't know why we didn't I guess we didn't want to start off with a supernatural episode because well this is a true crime podcast and we only do a supernatural episode maybe one or two um, per spooky season and so I guess maybe we would have started off with a spooky one but then we would have I guess given the impression that it was going to be a supernatural podcast and we wanted to maintain that it was you know true crime so every spooky season to commemorate our podversary we started doing some supernatural episodes we've started with Holly's Hauntings obviously and this season we have a new segment called cryptids unscripted with Simon Vaughn and he is just wonderful about telling us all about the um, spooky lore myths and legends of cryptids of the Americas and um, we have these little mini segments and I know that you guys love them and I'm so glad that you guys listen to them and uh, we really do these episodes like this during October for, you know, every year for our podversary so that we can celebrate. It's also around the time of my birthday at the end of September. And so, you know, I was born in in spooky season and I just, um, you know, I love celebrating all October with you guys with, you know, some kind of different... Uh, <laughs> You would say lighthearted, but um, spookier types of, of stuff that we can really just speculate and have fun with. And so I just wanted to thank you guys again. I can't believe that this is, it marks three years. It's absolutely insane. It's incredible. We are in over, I think, I, I believe we're being heard in over 90 countries. We've got over 100,000 downloads. And we've been in the newspaper, we've been in um, articles online. Um, It's just, 
it's been absolutely insane and we could not have done it without you. So I really want to take this just small second to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for sticking with this podcast and watching us grow and watching us learn and watching us evolve into what we are now. Um, you know, thank you guys for just really believing in us. So with that, we are going to jump in to Holly's hauntings with, of course, Holly Archer. And we're going to be talking about the Skirvin Hotel. Guess who I have back on the show with me for Holly's hauntings? Of course, <gasps> it's Holly herself, Holly Archer. Hi. Hello, Hi, and thank so you for nice to be here. Thanks for being here with me. So we're going to talk about um, we're talking about the Skirvin today, which is pretty cool. Uh, a place that my hubby managed for two years back in the day, way before medicine and even thinking about medicine. <laughs> and what um, you actually wanted to cover this one, though, this was not my idea. So tell me why you wanted to cover this one. So I actually, it was, everything was like all an accident. It is not far from the ballpark that's up there. And I knew this guy who played so there's a ballpark in Bricktown dear everyone who doesn't know this there's a ballpark in Bricktown that's um what is it triple a I think and there's no major league baseball in Oklahoma and so that's basically as close as you can get it's like diet baseball and sometimes we'd go up there and watch those and the Chickasaws took it over and my mom works for that tribe and you could go and like get free tickets, all that kind of stuff. So I would go up there pretty often and someone was like, someone went with me and they were like, let's go to this hotel. And it was a boy. And I was like, Oh, excuse me. And he was like, no, there's like this really cool. They like play piano and there's this lounge and sometimes they have music and blah, blah, blah. And the food is just amazing, whatever. And like, you're going to get me every time with good drinks and good food, period. That's just, I'm like, okay, let's go experience it. And I've been to Bricktown a million times. That's where my dad played music. And I had just not necessarily, I don't pay attention to a hotel. I don't need to stay the night in Oklahoma City. You know, it's an hour away from where I lived like so anyways we walk up to this hotel and it's just it's just otherworldly it doesn't really fit anything else there it's so old and you know my family they're architects and there are people who design things in my family and it's just you can't help but have an eye for that when that's just I, I don't know how to describe it it's almost like it's in your blood I guess you know yeah. it's just a part of it just attracts you. I don't know. So I see this building and I'm like, dear God, like, it's pretty. Why have I not noticed this? Everything else just looks so new, much newer. That yeah. that makes it stand out even more, you know? And so we walk in and you just instantly get this. Like when you're seeing the inside of the Titanic for the first time, you just, you step back somewhere else. You're just like the grandeur of it. Yes, you. it's so ornate and it's so old and it's just something you don't see. You certainly don't see it in Oklahoma. Being, I mean, Oklahoma is one of the last states to join, first of all. But it's mm -hmm. just, it's like a New England thing almost. It's so damn 
amazing and just immaculate and the details it's just I don't know even if you have a bad experience in there that alone you could just sit there and look for hours at everything just wood this and Victorian it's really pretty I haven't been in it so obviously you've been in it but I haven't Mm -hmm. I've never been in I've only seen it from the outside uh-huh, I did yeah. see pictures while while I was doing some research for it. I, I looked at a lot of the pictures, and it is gorgeous. Like, and the inlays, the architecture, it's just really pretty. And they do this, they have this, like, special scented candle that's in there on purpose. Like, to, it's like a magnolia-type scent. Like, the, it, it's all catered just this certain way to, like, do this to you on purpose, you know? Yeah. And... You seriously just feel like luxury is just flowing through your veins. It's like my blood is made of silk now. I am this other person. <laughs> you just feel like a peasant for being in blue jeans. You're like, what the fuck am I even wearing in this place? Like, ah. So anyways, we sat down and we had these truffle fries. Truffle fries. Oh, my God. What is wow. that? So it truffle fries and I drink a white Russian and I just felt so zhuzh, just God. Anyways, <laughs> it just was fucking amazing. And now it's like one of my one of my favorite places to just go and be somebody else and be in a different time. And you just forget that you're in Oklahoma City. Like, in, I don't know. It's just neat. It's so gorgeous. But then to find I had no idea at the time that it was also haunted, which, of course, is going to turn me on. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? What's this about? I didn't know it had so much history. I didn't know it was so old. I didn't know it was one of the first buildings there. So anyways, doing all this research and stuff and finding out so much about it, it's just, um, it's pretty fascinating. And it's, I just feel like it's really cool that buildings could just take on a personality, really, because they've, they've been there so much longer than us and longer than the man who built it and designed it and put his life into it. And they you know, they're still there and their other people are going to put, you know, their, I don't know, passion and memories into it. And now I have great memories there. Well, I'm sure lots of people do. It's just, it's just so cool. It's very, I will say the only time that I ever like, you know how you can take those, um, what are those, uh, carriage rides or whatever downtown mm-hmm. that was the first time I remember seeing it and it was like it, because you're in a carriage and because it's so old it's like you're transported <laughs> like so, yes. like instantly you're just transported and you're like oh my god yes. this would have been how they would have seen it probably for the mm-hmm. first time <laughs> that's yes. pretty cool it just it has this effect on you and I don't know how like it's I don't know it's just something else I did put some pictures just for you guys um, listening out there. If you want to check out some photos, I put some in the case files. So you can go to the website and check out some pictures because you should. Yeah, for sure. Go look at that thing. Also, you could just Google it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a pretty person. It's like, oh, damn. It's got a pretty heavy history. Harry Truman, Ronald Reagan, John Wayne, Jimmy Hoffa, Clint Eastwood. Dwight Eisenhower, Woodrow Wilson, Gerald Ford, Elvis, and Judge Alfred P. Murrah are just a few celebrities from near and far who have used the hand towels of Oklahoma's greatest institution of hostelry, the Skirvin Hotel. First prominently located near young Oklahoma City's booming railroad station and now in the heart of a renewed and vibrant downtown, This grand dame has stood vigil and played hostess to everybody who was anybody 
and even anybody who was nobody for more than a hundred years. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the Skirvin. William Basler Bill Skirvin, who was a land run participant and wealthy Texas Olman, moved his family to Oklahoma City in 1906. He invested in oil and land, increasing his wealth considerably, and in 1910 decided to build a hotel on one of his properties at First and Broadway after an investor from New York City offered to buy the lot in order to build the biggest hotel in the state. Oklahoma City had only one luxury hotel at that time, and Skirvin thought it was an excellent investment. So he approached Solomon A. Layton, who was a famous area architect who had designed the Oklahoma State Capitol building, and plans were finalized for a six-story U-shaped hotel. But in late 1910, just as construction of the fifth-story neared completion, Layton convinced Skirvin that Oklahoma City's growth justified 10 stories rather than six. Solomon Andrew Layton, an American architect who designed over 100 public buildings in the Oklahoma City area, including the Oklahoma State Capitol, and he designed the hotel. So the Skirvin Hilton actually opened its doors September 26th, 1911. We just missed that anniversary. The plush hotel had two 10-story towers containing 224 rooms. It was one of the first buildings in Oklahoma City to have air conditioning, which was then called iced air, running ice water in each room. And it also had a ballroom that seated 500 people. It also had imported Austrian chandeliers that cost more than $100,000 each. The lobby was decorated in English Gothic and the wings of the hotel contained a drugstore, retail shops, and a cafe. Each room had a private bath, a telephone, hardwood furniture, and velvet carpet. Now this was this was a big deal back in 1911 to have your own private bath, your own telephone, your own furniture. Like this was very lavish. Skirvin and Layton made the hotel as self-sufficient as possible, installing a proprietary gas pipeline to the building. They dug three wells for water supply, built an electric generating plant, and operated an in-house laundry and cooling system. Damn. Skirvin moved his family into a five-room suite on the ninth floor. In addition to his three children, the Skirvin household consisted of the kids' menagerie of dogs, raccoons, hawks, and other animals, which they kept on the roof. Of course they did. Ah, why wouldn't you? If I was that rich, hell, I wasn't even that rich, and I had a raccoon. I feel you. So according to many accounts, the hotel became a center for well-known businessmen and politicians over the next 10 years. Skirvin began to expand the hotel slowly at first, building a new 12-story wing and then eventually raising all wings to 14 stories by 1930. This increased the room total to 525 and added a roof garden and cabaret club as well as doubled the lobby size. It became a popular speakeasy during Prohibition. WB was very lax about maintaining a place of refuge to relax and gamble and have women around should the need for one arise. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Sex work is real work. Anyway. (laughs) 
As much of the country was hit with a depression, the oil boom in Oklahoma City kept the Skirvin Hotel going strong. And despite failed extension attempts and family problems, William Skirvin operated the hotel until his death in 1944. Skirvin's three children decided to sell the property to Dan W. James in 1945. James immediately began modernizing the hotel extensively, adding numerous amenities such as room service, a beauty shop, a barber shop, a swimming pool, and a house physician. The Skirvin only grew in prominence as it hosted Presidents Harry Truman and Dwight D. Eisenhower. But by 1959, suburban sprawl was severely hurting downtown Oklahoma City, and James sold the Skirvin Hotel to Chicago investors in 1963. It was then sold again in 1968 to H.T. Griffin. Griffin spent millions remodeling the Skirvin Hotel. But business continued to suffer, and Griffin filed for bankruptcy in 1971. After changing hands a few times, the hotel underwent more renovations in the 1970s. In October 1979, the hotel was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. It was renovated again in the early 1980s and then eventually closed in 1988. In 2002... The city itself of Oklahoma City acquired the property and put together a financing package to, quote, renovate, restore, and reopen, end quote. The Skirvin Hotel finally reopened on February 26, 2007. The $46.4 million project included the original exterior finish, historically accurate windows, configured guest rooms, new guest elevators, an elegant lobby, restaurants, and state-of-the-art meeting rooms. Wherever possible, historical elements such as moldings, tiles, and ceiling treatments were incorporated into the design. So getting into the creepy stuff and the hauntings, First, let me say, its first manager is said to have shot himself in 1913. This would have been two years after it opened. Um, A suicide that was later investigated as a murder. Apparently, it was kind of this mixture at times because um, it became very popular in Prohibition. And so there was a lot of hijinks that went into you know that era and apparently a bunch of wild west gun style fights inside of the place and a lot of of crazy shenanigans that's happened that happened in there so because it was so popular during prohibition it was during that time that wv skirvin was said to have had an affair with one of his hotel mates according to legend The maid soon conceived after they began their affair, and to prevent some sort of scandal, he locked her away in a room on the 10th floor, which would have been the top floor at the time, and it's said to have been room 1015. I'm not entirely sure why we're using that verbiage, as Skirvin's wife Harriet had died in 1908, so he was a widower. Being locked away for so long and being pregnant, she was very depressed. He wouldn't let her out. She wasn't allowed to see anyone. She wasn't allowed to speak to anyone or call anyone. 
And this went on even after she gave birth um, to the child. She was not allowed to leave the room. Uh, She is said totally unconfirmed. All of this is unconfirmed. um, And I cannot find any historical documents to back any of this up. Um, But she is said to have jumped from that 10th floor with her child in her arms. Of course, killing them both. I'll get into this opinion in just a second. The the maid's name remains unknown, but her ghost haunts the Scriven Hotel and former employees nicknamed her Effie. Guests would often say they didn't get a decent night's sleep due to the persistent sounds of a baby crying. Many men who have stayed in the hotel have often reported being propositioned by a female voice while alone in their rooms. Others have seen the figure of a woman with them while taking a shower. Other strange noises and occurrences were reported by staff and guests, including things seemingly being moved around by themselves, such as the maid carts being pushed down the hall when no one was there. Effie is known for knocking on doors, whispering, and opening drawers. Though William Skirvin is said to be a noted womanizer, and the 10th floor was likely a popular spot for gamblers and prostitutes in the 1930s, um, there are a few writers... In particular, Steve Lackmire and Jack Money, who did extensive research for their book, Skirvin, and found no evidence of Effie either. By the way, I really want to read that book. I've seen excerpts, and it looks absolutely fascinating. This man is completely obsessed with this hotel. It looks really good. He absolutely doesn't believe in this, but he has seen some things that he can't really explain. So I do like that about him. He can admit that. So... Um, So he had previously told KFOR, he said, keep in mind, if a woman were to throw herself and her baby out of a 10th floor window of the Skirvin, that would have made the news. This would not have gone unnoticed. And I can't help but agree. But on the flip side of the coin, when you're dealing with extreme wealth and people who rub elbows with judges and presidents, who knows what they're capable of keeping under wraps? Yeah. I digress. Exactly. I digress. Yeah. Yeah. On a site called darkmediacity.wordpress.com, I found an excerpt that said, utilizing the archive, I'm going to quote here, quote, utilizing the archives of the Oklahoma newspaper, interesting articles about the Skirvin were brought to light. In 1932, the only record of someone jumping from the hotel, a salesman from Dallas committed suicide by plunging to his death from a 10th floor window. In 1939, a drunk... 20-year-old woman from Nashville almost dove out of her eighth floor story window, or excuse me, eighth story window, but she was caught by the house officer just in time. So over time, it's easy to mesh some of these details between the top floor, the 10th floor, exchanging the salesman for the 20-year-old woman, mix in the reports of the phantom maid cart sounds, the female voices, the occasional cry of a baby upon the air. And apparitions appearing often, you know, lots of people have seen the same thing. So there's that. Regardless of there not being any official record of Effie specifically, some someone continues to spook many guests, especially out of town athletes. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma City is the home of the NBA team, the Thunder, and the Skirvin is where their opponents stay when they come to town. Most notably among visiting NBA basketball teams who would stay overnight there because they would come into town to play the Oklahoma City Thunder and they would experience things like inexplicable creaks, 
groans, cries. Some of them even heard a baby crying and ghostly molestations. And I'm, I want to say with the baby crying thing, it was like they heard a baby crying and they'd be like, okay, I need that baby to be quiet because, you know, I got to wake up early or whatever. And so they would call down to the front desk and the front desk would be like, listen, we don't have anybody with, you know, a, a child or a baby staying on that floor or the floor above you or the floor below you. So you really shouldn't be hearing a baby crying. But but there were plenty of reports like that that happened. Some of the players have been known to forego the hotel entirely and pay for a different one out of their own pocket. I actually found a clip, an old clip from Fox 25 that I'm going to throw in here of them talking to some of the players. <laughs> and they left. <laughs> so some of the encounters include Lakers forward Meta Sandiford Artest, formerly known as Ron Artest, claimed he was assaulted by an amorous ghost at the Skirvin in 2016. And then in 2010, Ed Curry, who is a 7-foot, 295-pound sinner for the New York Knicks, slinked off to spend most of his Skirvin stay in the room of 5'9", 180-pound teammate Nate Robinson for protection. Uh, heat forward James Johnson once had Derrick Rose as a roomie when Johnson was on the Bulls um, because Rose was too scared to stay alone and actually moved into Johnson's room. Although Rose chose the one teammate who was a second degree black belt, Johnson said he does not know how his martial arts training would help him fight a ghost. The most notable example occurred in 2010 when the New York Knicks famously blamed their loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder on the haunting when the Chicago Bulls reported doors slamming shut on their own and strange sounds in th inside their rooms and claimed that they were too distracted to win. This threat, though, comes from off the court. Fox 25's Jacqueline Schultz tells us how a hotel ghost story left some really big players really scared tonight. She is live, Jacqueline. Andrew and Jamie, the Thunder's win against the Knicks last night may have been secured here at the Skirvin. They say they got no sleep while staying here because they feared something may have been watching. Wing haunts at the Skirvin Hotel, the legend of someone or something disturbed some famous guests. Where'd he come from? None other than the New York Knicks, who lost to the Thunder Monday night. Some of the Knicks players told the New York Daily News they didn't get much sleep at the Skirvin. Forward Jared Jeffries says it's scary. Guys from New York, huh? Scared of ghosts. It's an excuse, you know, it, or that's what it sounds like. I just don't think they were as good as the Thunder. <laughs> For three. Knicks center Eddie Curry had his room on the 10th floor, the haunt of the supposed ghost. He says, that's why I spent most of my time in Nate Robinson's room. I definitely believe there are ghosts in that hotel. And the Thunder's general manager chimed in. Uh, I mean, some locker rooms are really small and really hot. But the tale can send some shivers down your spine. Legend has it, a hotel maid named Effie had an affair with the owner, Mr. Skirvin, became pregnant, then met an untimely death. 
Legend says she was locked away in the room. Then she eventually threw herself and her baby off the 10th floor. And according to the website Legends of America, she propositions male guests. That sounds really appealing. I don't know why those guys would want to leave. <laughs> I'm on the 6th floor, so I, maybe I need to have to be moved. <laughs> there is no ghost. It's folklore. Skirvin General Manager John Williams says there's no records a woman named Effie even existed. Now he's concerned the scare will hurt business from other teams. This is the first time we've had this problem. Others say no way. If uh, they call me a sweet or something, I'd, I'd definitely stay. Are you going to put teams on the 10th floor in the future? We absolutely will. And he says the Knicks, well, just had a bad night. They just need to score a few more points and worry about Kevin Durant and the rest of the guys, not the ghost. <laughs> The Knicks did not return our calls for comment. The general manager of the Skirvins says that the Knicks did not mention any problems about ghosts while they were here. And there are 15 other NBA teams that stay while they play the Thunder here. And they say they've never mentioned any problems while they were here at the Skirvin. Reporting live, Jacqueline Schultz, Fox 25 News. Uh, I'm going to use that when I have a bad day sometime. Oh, it's just haunted. While the Thunder play the San Antonio Spurs win. And like, granted, athletes are superstitious people. I have lucky socks. I fucking get it, you know, but <laughs> at the same time, I don't know. Some of them like won't even stay there. Like they never stayed there to begin with and they're still not going. But uh, it's just like they, they lost the next day and yeah. it's like, y'all, the Thunder are just a good team. I don't even like basketball, but I know the Thunder. But I don't know. Anyway. Sounds like a good excuse to me. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. We're sleepy. That's what happened. <laughs> Susan Riley, who until recently served as the Skirvin's in-house historian, which is pretty cool. So during Riley's six and a half years working at the hotel, she claimed she often heard this baby crying during her shifts, but later realized that when a side door was opened in, you know, windy Oklahoma, it let out this like crazy cry from the gust and I know exactly what she's talking about because I used to live in this very small very not nice apartment and the front door I mean it was so small it was like it was, the, the living room was probably like a hundred square feet the couch literally sat like right in front of the door and we were on the second story the second floor and so the door would go you know out and straight down these um stairs and then around and to these other stairs and, and go down and because of the placement where we were where that door was and the fact that it was not it was not on very well like um even when you shut the door there was this very large I would even say half an inch crack between the door itself and the door frame so it did not shut very well and during the winter months the fall months and the winter months it was so creepy because just the placement of the door how it was not on there very well that literally Oklahoma has literal howling winds and it would pass over you know that crack that opening or whatever and it would be so loud I can't even tell you how loud it was and how eerie it was and it was just like a like it was so strange and it and it would be loud enough and you know our apartment was small enough that I could hear it at night 
um, in bed because that's how small our apartment was, but also how loud that was. So, you know, it, it woke me up and scared me on several occasions. So I totally understand where she's coming from on this one. She also added, um, Riley also added that a woman in a red dress, not always detectable as a phantasm is said to lurk the halls. She's had several people heard several, she has heard several claims from people staying and whatnot that they've seen this woman in the red dress. We don't know if, if the woman in the red dress is Effie. Um, we actually don't even know if anyone has ever actually seen Effie or described Effie. At least I don't. I've scoured the interwebs and, and asked many people and no one has ever actually described seeing Effie. So it is possible that the woman in the red dress is Effie. Um, it could be a completely different woman altogether because this woman is said to be fairly silent. Uh, no one has ever seen her spoke or do anything like that. She just kind of lurks the hallways. And then also they have a Venetian room there, which is a big ornate ballroom at the top floor. And it's said to have the most activity. So Riley explained that she'd set up a, a banquet there only to come back the next morning and find the tables and the place settings just completely disorganized. And she wonder, wondered whether it could be explained by a recent uptick in earthquakes. I'm also not sure if the Venetian room was closed and locked and was not, um, no one else had access to the room. I'm assuming that that is probably the case and why she was in such dismay when she came in and found it the next morning, uh, completely, you know, messed up. But, you know, that's not confirmed. I don't know if anyone else had access to that room. It would be very easy, you know, if if the door was left open for a while and maybe you had some kids or something going through there and just having a good time or whatever. Um, but, you know, that's just another of the unexplained. All right, so hear me out. The crybaby stories and lore and myths just make things easier to swallow. All these haunted hotels, this crybaby bridge shit. Mm -hmm. Every town, every place, every, everybody's got one. You mm -hmm. know, like, I am not, I'm one to believe a place is haunted. If I had not experienced this myself, that would be one thing. And I still don't believe certain places are haunted. You know, like, I, I pick and choose what I think is haunted. <laughs> yeah. But I have experienced things for myself. And I know, like, I know what I experienced. I know what the hell happened. And... I'm not going to try and make you believe it. I don't care. It doesn't affect my life at all, whether you do. I don't, this Effie story is horseshit. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Like, there's no pictures, no stories, no personal accounts. Yeah. So it makes it easy for people to just use that story and run with it, okay? Yeah. But there is a true account of a death in the hotel that was a huge deal. And it became a court matter, so there was no sweeping it under the rug. Da -da. Taps fingertips <laughs> together. <laughs> Here's the tea. That was the death of Frederick Sherabel. And I've looked up a thousand ways to say this name. Somebody, some people say Scarabel, Sherubel, Sher. I don't know. I'm going with one of them. I just picked it. I'm sorry. Okay. The death of Frederick Sherabel. 
He had contracted with Skirvin to operate the hotel and formed the Skirvin Hotel Company for that purpose. They did this together. He had a 15-year lease on the hotel. Oh, wow. Okay. His, his operation of the Skirvin began in April 1911. Like, this man had studied in Europe how to operate hotels, how to keep books, how to, like, PR, everything. This man was a fine, upstanding individual. Like, he was a oh. member of every club you could possibly be a part of. Like, okay. he knew his shit. He did things legally. He was a great man. Was this the guy that it took over management? Um, well, because the, uh, the, what, the parts that I did come across were... There was a man who was murdered there, but no one ever says his name. And it says that he was a manager uh, when it opened, like close to when it opened. Mm -hmm. That's literally all I found on it. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm glad they fucking said he was murdered in whatever you read. Oh, okay. Because, because <laughs> that's not that's not the story that, okay, you're okay. going to find out. All right. Okay. All right. I'm glad. I'm super glad because, boy, howdy, I'm fired up about this. <laughs> oh. His operation of the Skirvin began in April 1911. It came to an end on April 17, 1913, only two years later, when on that date, he was found in his hotel apartment, shot to death, his body in a pool of blood. Oh. Was it a suicide, as local authorities determined, or was it a murder? Well, you just said shot to death, so that implies to me that it was more than one gunshot. That's what I thought, too. That's the verbiage they use. But it is one gunshot. But listen to all this sketchy shit. Okay. So much sketch. Oh, my God. I'm ready for the sketch. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're going to... You're seriously going to freak out. Okay. <laughs> During the officer's probing of his death, they had an examination of witnesses. Employees and officers of the hotel closely questioned as to who was last seen with the deceased. Like, keep in mind, him and Mr. Skirvin both lived there. Like, this was serious shit, you On know? grounds, like, yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. There was a selection of jurors for the seven witnesses called to give testimony, including the house physician of the hotel. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, but he was one of the witnesses, not a juror. Okay. The details leading up to the physician's appearance at Sherable's apartment are completely lacking, and you're going to have an infuriating amount of questions. <sighs> According to the witness statement recorded the day of the incident, Dr. Gibson stated that he received a call to his office by W.B. Skirvin and Morris Brown. So this version of a call is, you know, we're talking early 1900s. So this means like a gentleman caller. Right, This yeah. version of like him going to him in person to retrieve him for something, not right. a phone call. Yeah. They took him to Mr. Sherrible's apartments on the third floor of the hotel. On entering, he stated that he swore no one was in the front room or bedroom and the apartments were empty. Then as he was about to leave, he heard heavy breathing in the bathroom behind the closed door. He opened the door and saw Sherbel laying on the floor with his head in a pool of coagulated blood. His legs were doubled under his body. His right arm was underneath his head and a revolver was lying a few inches from his outstretched hand. Sherbel was alive with a strong pulse showing. The blood from the wounds had formed a clot extending from the mass on the floor to the opening in the wounds. He stated that as the bathroom door opened and revealed Sherable's body, Skirvin and Brown turned and left the apartments. Dr. Buchanan, who had been called 
Dr. Buchanan, another doctor, he had been called, he came in. So Dr. Gibson testified that he and Dr. Buchanan lifted the body onto the bed in the next room and examined the wounds. What? Why would you move the body? He stated that at first glance, he saw there was no hope for recovery and merely placed the wounded man in a comfortable position on the bed. The doctor stated that Sherable lived about 40 minutes after he had been found and he died at 4.33 p.m. He refused to express an opinion as to how long Sherable had been wounded before he was found. Oh, my God. So he went back. He went back in, opened the bathroom door, and that's when he found him. Well, they had already called another doctor. I don't fucking know why. So, Skirvin and Morris leave. The doctor there was shareable. Oh. So then the other doctor comes in, and they put him in the bed. This is your, this is your, like, best friend. This is your business partner. And you just leave him. And you're leaving? You're just leaving. You're leaving? Where are you going? And, like, how did... Why did you go get the doctor in the first place? And why were y'all leaving? Like, oh, like, why were you leaving the apartment? Why were you turning around to leave the okay. apartment? Okay, when you, okay, now that you say it like that, I just realized there should have been, like, what prompted him to go get the doctor if the, they, yes. they, they open the door and he's not there. And then the doctor doesn't even know he's in there because he's behind this door. How would yeah. they have known that he was in there and needed a doctor to begin with? Yes, so, like, I get it if you heard a gunshot and you went to check it out and you didn't see anything and you went to leave. But why would you not call the police? Why would you immediately call a doctor? Why? See? Okay, that's sketch. Yes. Yeah. And then why did you leave? I'm sorry. If my friend was there and was shot and... I'm not going nowhere. No. No. I'm not fucking leaving. And was still alive? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I'd be like, hang in there, buddy. But while you were, like, describing how the body was found, I'm sitting here, like, trying to figure it out with my own body. Like, you said the right hand was behind the head, and then the other hand was extended, and that's where the gun was found. So that would imply that he he would have shot himself left-handed. Now, I'm not saying that that's not possible if he were left-handed, but so I have exit and entry, like entry and exit description too. Okay. Yeah. Give me it. Another thing I can think of for why they left maybe is also because, so he, this man was married and his wife was there oh. in the hotel. So, like, but they don't, but they not don't in mention, the room at the time. Um, they actually, so you'll, uh, you'll see. Okay, okay. Hang on. You'll see. Okay. Okay, on further questioning, Dr. Gibson told of the discovery of a bullet impeded in the wall near a stool on which Sherable was supposed to have been seated. In the bathroom? Yeah, I mean, so here's the deal. That was very, very common back then, and it was even common. My grandmother had a changing chair, a very fancy little changing chair. Like, she would sit down and put her little footies on, like pantyhose and stuff like that. Okay. She had a very fancy, ornate little chair in the bathroom. Okay. Um, I'll buy it. And my my aunt did too. Hers was like a little ottoman. It had magazines on it most of the time. Anyways, so I've seen that. I get that. Uh, And then also women would pull it up to the vanity to do their makeup and things. Right. Okay. So uh, I'm with you. this, This also makes sense to me. Like if he did this himself why his arm would end up in kind of a precarious spot. Because think about it, a revolver is going to kick. So if he did have the gun in his right hand, 
and then he falls off this ottoman, you could easily land on your arm yeah. behind your head. Why? Yeah. It's true. So, anyways, the he was supposed to have been seated. No questions regarding the caliber of the bullet and whether or not it would fit the gun found near the body were asked. Dr. Gibson stated that the revolver lying near the body was a very large one, but he knew nothing at all about firearms oh and could God. not tell the cal- caliber or make. Wow. The wound examination determined the point of entrance was near the right temple, just inside the hairline, and the bullet had ranged back and upward, making its exit high up on the left side above the left ear. It was very small and without powder marks. The skin was nearly closed. The point of exit was large and ragged. He refused to express an opinion of the range at which the gun appeared to have been fired and also an opinion as to the length of time necessary for the clot to be formed. Remember, I said there was a clot from the the wound to the ground. Yeah. Um, On being questioned regarding the appearance of discoloration beneath the right eye, I guess they found, they skipped around here, but I guess they found a discoloration under his eye, like maybe a black eye. Okay. Um, He stated that he had gone to the undertaking parlors Friday morning and he had seen the discoloration, but he had not observed that Thursday afternoon. And Thursday was when this incident happened oh okay so um also later on they mentioned that he had he had had a terrible headache like his adenoids were hurting okay and he had a terrible headache and that's kind of what they blamed it on they were like they think he was in excruciating pain and he just took himself out wow so um the afternoon of his death several stockholders were holding a meeting and had asked for several bills and accounts mr sherbel had left the room and said that he would bring back the data in about an hour this was about 2 p.m at four o'clock they were notified by morris brown of his death they stated that the firm had been making a profit since last september the stockholders had unlimited confidence in mr sherbel and had been commending him for his management on the afternoon of his death. There oh, literally no. there was literally never anything that pointed towards he him committing suicide due to pressure of his job. Like he was doing everything by the book. He was not a dishonest person. He was not, you know, yeah. like skimming off the top or anything that you would expect when you get told something like this. Yeah. So um Mr. Skirvin, his turn to testify. This is also sketchy. Mr. Skirvin testified that the gun found laying by the wounded man was the property of Morris Brown. How did... Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> How do you, what the fuck? How do you know Thank that? you. And had been taken by Sherable when some crooks had caused trouble a few days ago and that Sherable had taken the gun from Brown's room to protect himself. What? He stated that it had been lying on Sherable's desk for some time. If it was just a few days ago, what the hell is some time to you? Like, some time is like weeks to me. I, mean, <laughs> I know. You know, like, yeah. it took it's it like a few months days, to me. It's been there for a while. <laughs> like, what? Check one, could, dude. It could be years. <laughs> uh huh. It had been there for some time, air quotes. Newman, an elevator boy, testified to kit. They make note, they make a big old deal in the court documents because this was, keep in mind, this was recorded in like, 1915 or whatever right they make a point to point out that 
this elevator person was a person of color and I don't give a shit. So I changed it to elevator boy. It doesn't matter. Okay. They probably used really bad words. Uh, yeah. And I don't, <laughs> and yeah. it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter. Like, uh, Newman, whose job was just to be an elevator boy and a fucking human being. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Drives me insane. Newman and elevator boy testified to carrying Morris Brown and Sherrible on the elevator the afternoon of his death. Okay. He okay. stated that he had brought Sherrible and Brown down from the ninth floor and Sherrible had gotten off at his apartments on the third floor okay. and Brown went down to the lobby. Okay. Sometime later, he had seen Brown looking excited and a few things that just looked queer all at once, and he believed something unusual had happened. Hmm. Keep in mind, this person's account of things is probably the most honest. No one would have thought to pull certain people aside and be like, okay, here's what happened. Let's get our story straight. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, they look at some of these people as, like, they forget they exist. Right. It's like the elevator fucking operates itself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, so, anyways, he's like, things, things, he's like, I just think something weird happened. And I'm like, mm, it probably fucking did. And you can feel that, like, especially if you're in a small space with people like that, you yeah. can feel that awkwardness coming off of people. Yeah. 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 And you, when you're used to dealing with people day in and day out, like, you can also feel it, like, you can see it on their faces. Yeah. All the witnesses asked about the revolver were rather in definite as to details and the revolver was not produced in court what oh here we go this is this well is where the hell I was the revolver <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 one man on being shown a revolver that belonged in the court thought it was the one that had been found lying on the floor beside the wounded man oh my God. he was like yeah that's it that's the one that's for sure it's it. just I saw some it. guy who wasn't yeah. even at the scene he couldn't have been at the scene. He didn't what? know what the fuck he was looking at. <laughs> the hell? <laughs> okay, now get this. This one kills me. Could have been a mistake, you know? Could have been a mistake. Like, that's a revolver. And see, that's the thing. Like, you and I have talked so many times about trauma. Like, what you think you saw, what you forget. Like, your brain blocks it out. So, yeah. your memories are trying to come back. Okay, you know, could have happened. Yeah. It's not every day you see a person that you know with a fatal wound right. you know it's a, it's a weird situation but another man stated that the gun he saw appeared to be about two feet long okay <laughs> okay. okay so we're gonna circle back to this in a minute okay just one minute one minute wow i i guess at a later time they had a separate sort of trial trying to prove that it was a suicide so this first one was spent giving testimonies to show that it was not a homicide okay like that nobody killed him so now Nobody, oh. we didn't, I don't think we did a fucking decent job of that, first of all. No. <laughs> but anyway, for some handy reason, this time, the weapon was produced in court. Oh, mm. no. What? Uh, now that now that we're showing that it's a suicide, we have the weapon. Oh, so anyways, of course we do. So the weapon, this revolver, is a Colt forty-five. okay? I know you all want to sing it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not the beer. It's just, So it's a Colt forty-five revolver. Now, hear me out. Here's the sidebar about what that guy, the two-foot gun guy, thought he saw, okay? 
this is a red flag to me. I'm not sure how many gun lovers I've got out there with us, but if you're there, I hope you raised an eyebrow. There's the Colt 45 revolver, but there's also a Colt 45 revolver rifle. The rifles would have been between 15 to 24 inches long. Okay, yeah. Okay. The army used them in the Civil War, which ended in 1865. So this truly sounds to me like someone told this person what they witnessed. Maybe he didn't think it was a revolver. Maybe his dad fought in the Civil War and he only knew that the Colt 45 was a rifle, you know? So he like know. he heard it was a Colt, Colt 45, 45 and he and put like, it with the rifle. Yeah, yes. Okay, I got you. Okay. Yeah. I was like I and I don't know who this witness was or where he was from, but I know that that rifle had been around for a long time before this. Yeah. So that right there, I promise you, you're not going to see a revolver pistol and think it's two feet long unless you're on ether or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Whoever he was, he didn't see anything, you know? Yeah. So who else in this mess wasn't credible? These guys are all on the payroll. I'm going to put it like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Mm, mm. Also, how would you be able to shoot yourself with a two foot long gun? I I mean, didn't Kurt Cobain do it? Anyway, this... Okay, things still keep getting fucky. One moment, yeah. screwier than the next. Yeah. It keeps it keeps going. Okay. None of none of this is making sense to me. So. I know. Let's just let's just get more chaos. Okay. Here we go with the bullshit. Now that we're now that we're on the suicide train, okay. Dr. Gibson said the young man who took down his testimony on Friday made several mistakes. Okay. So scratch what you know. <laughs> <laughs> what an easy way to do that <laughs> it's funny that you say easy it was easy wallower instead of morris brown who accompanied wb skirvin and himself to the room in which they discovered mr sherrible's body wow and the death occurred at 5 33 o'clock thursday instead of 4 33 o'clock what do you remember earlier whenever I said that what's his nuts told people at four o'clock that yeah. the dude was dead? Okay. So anyways. So there's like a crap ton died, of witnesses. What? If he died at 533, how did Morris Brown tell anyone he was dead at four o'clock? And if Morris Brown wasn't even there, it was this easy wallower guy. What the fuck are you talking about? How unless, do you know anything? Unless Morris Brown planned on killing him at four o'clock and told everyone he was dead and then killed him. At and, five then it was like, and then it was like, oh shit, he didn't die till 5.33. I didn't kill him right. Yeah, uh, all this is a little screwy. I really I really thought that shot to the dome was just going to be an instant thing. But So if he wasn't the one that went to the room, how did he know anyway? The only other thing that sort of makes me tilt my head in confusion is that the witness accounts constantly refer to Mr. Sherrible as a body upon their discovery instead of him as a person. I don't know how things were worded back then, but it's normally not just a body as long as the soul still occupies it. Yeah. If he was in fact alive when they went into his apartment and moved him to the bed, right. then why do they keep calling him the body? Like, it almost seems like a Freudian slip. Yeah. That's hey, a good so, question. Yeah, it's just, it's weird to me. Because the second someone says, we found the body. Yeah. You, like if say a person if I tell you a person a person's been missing for 15 days and I turn you around and I text you and I say Raven they found the body what the fuck does that mean to you oh they dead they they're dead. dead yeah there's not a person yeah. in that body 
that's like uh, all those people who are like, um, you know, the, it's the wordage, the, the verbiage that people use. Like if you say, oh, your husband, something's happened to your husband. And then they immediately start talking about them in the, the past tense or some shit. And you're like, I didn't say that they were dead. But, yeah. But now yeah. that you mention it, they are dead. And we're going to take you in for questioning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how did you know that? Yeah. How did you know that? Yeah. Little shit like that. So definitely anyways, see that here. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I'm just like, this is so fucking strange. So the entire event took place while his wife entertained a group of friends at a social function in the parlor of the hotel. Ooh. So like yeah. I said, like maybe that's why the men left. Like they need to go tell his wife. I don't know. Just a few minutes before he had been circulating among the guests. Allegedly, he had a terrible headache due to his adenoids. And that's the hill they stood on as the reason for this. Involuntary or voluntary departure. That's so dumb, though. Like that's that's so. Unless you had been hearing him complain about that since you have known him. Yeah, for like years or something. years and years know. and years, and it just couldn't. He just like I just can't see that as mm-hmm. the reasoning. You don't just get a headache and I don't know. It's fucking. It's just. That's just weird. That's crazy. Are, that's weird. Y'all are, y'all are full of shit. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> So this man, like I said earlier, but I put it in here, so now I'm going to list it anyways. This man was an absolutely upstanding individual from everything I've read. His obituary is beautiful. So his obituary is on findagrave.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it says where he's buried and everything. Um, his services were ceremonial to the hilt. He was an Elks member. He was a Mason. He was part of the Knights Templar, which I had <gasps> no idea was a presence in America. Wow. Yeah, it said, like, commandary, which I don't know if that's, like, honorary member or, like, it can't be honorary because they actually were a presence here. But it's just, I didn't know that. Wow. Um, He was laid to rest in Oklahoma City with a surprising amount of grace and respect. The, I don't know if everyone else knows this, but the Bible Belt is quite unforgiving when it comes to the subject of suicide. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Apparently, everyone fell for this story but they sent him off religiously anyway and the preacher or whatever they're called in his denomination was sure to make it a point that he deserved love and honor no matter his reasons Um, wow like he he addressed the situation and was like he was a great and divine man and everything that he did in his life like whatever this was like i'm sure he had a reason but don't let this overshadow how he lived his life and i think that that was like either like just a big ballsy and important thing to say especially in that day and age about someone you know the only thing that I'm thinking in my brain right now is that so how long was it between when they found him and when he officially died what did you say like 30 minutes like 30 minutes yeah so what I'm wondering is if he was incapable of speaking during that time if he said anything to anyone or anything like that like you would think they would say something like how do we go from having a strong pulse to yeah he's not gonna make it yeah it's just very strange and then and i know that this would have been like what did you say 1913 1915 1913 is when he when this happened Mm -hmm. and so i don't know what the protocols were then i know that you don't just you know call the ambulance and they come you know try to resuscitate you or whatever and then take you to the Mm -hmm. hospital and you go through a bunch of surgery like they they probably, especially if a doctor was there, they were probably like, yeah, this isn't going to be great. So we'll, we'll, we're just going to hang out with them until dot, dot, dot. Yeah. But 
I feel like to not try anything, like no measures were taken at all. Like they just were like, oh, he's, that's it. That's it for him. And then, and then we're going to move on with our lives and we're not going to question any of this. It's just very strange to me. It's so strange. Like how, how do all of you, like including his wife, how do all of you just agree that this was a suicide? No, not one damn person is like, uh. Especially when he wasn't depressed he the only bad thing that's mentioned about any of this is when you said he was afraid that and we don't even know if that's like true true but someone had said he was afraid and took the gun a couple of days before because Mm -hmm. of robbers or whatever yeah okay so that's the only mention of him and that that implies that he was afraid of someone else so if all of that adding is just not adding up to suicide to me. It's just strange. After all this, like, of course, everything just went on. You know, life goes on. Wow. Uh, many things occurred over the following decades, according ugh, to, like, including the other tower, more rooms being built in 1930, Mr. Skirvin's death in a car accident in 1944, the hotel closed in 1988 for 15 years. In 2010, an Esquire article described an interview with Stephen Lackmire, the guy I told you wrote the book. Right. Uh, he specified that he did not believe in ghosts, but he did describe the following eerie events. Okay. He said when the Skirvin closed in 1988, a couple years later, the entire power box was pulled, so there would be no danger of fire. Okay. No power, no electricity going to that building for the next 15 years. I started covering the Skirvin back in the mid-90s, and every time you went in that lobby, right where W.B. Skirvin would sit in his chair, there was one light bulb that always stayed lit. What? There was no power, and that light stayed lit until the destruction phase started and the renovations and the gutting. He goes, I saw it. I can't explain that. Wow. And if you saw that post on my Facebook that Laura commented on, she said she saw the light, too. Wow. Um, you, you like, I don't know if you saw her comment, like she just Mm-mm. talked all about the Skirvin and stuff. And she said, she said the thing about the light too. And I hadn't said, I hadn't said shit. I didn't say anything about this guy or seeing the light or anything. And I was like, oh, oh I was like, that's cool. funny. That's cool. She saw it when she was a little kid. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he said, there's one other tale I'll tell you, make out of this what you want. Before the hotel reopened, we were being given a tour of the finished rooms by one of the owners. We went to the 10th floor, which had been totally sealed and locked down. When you're about to open a new hotel, they don't want construction workers going into the rooms once they've been readied for inspection. We went into the suite, the TV was on, and it was playing the kind of movies that amorous Effie might indulge in. So if you believe in those stories, I imagine how those two might add some interest to that. I'm sure there's an explanation. So to me, once again, giving a nod to a woman we can't prove existed, yet it's known that Mr. Skirvin was known to enjoy a good time and plenty ladies of the night grace the property. Yeah. I feel every mention of her is just trying to discount the probability that so many others put their blood, sweat, and tears into the success of this place, you know? Yeah. Like, every time you mention Effie, I'm just, I just roll my eyes. I'm like, for fuck's sake, it could be anybody. Like, yeah. It could be Skirvin himself, even though he died in a car accident. His his whole life was that hotel. Yes, just because like just because you didn't die there doesn't mean like like you said yeah. literally like from the ground up that's his. It's named. It's his namesake. Yeah. Like for fuck's sake. I feel like your energy is going to be drawn back to where 
you know, your heart is. Yeah, no kidding. It's just like, and, and who knows, like, if he, I always find it strange how some people who do deplorable things don't die in a graceful manner. Yeah. If you were just a great, I don't know. It seems I, like I just have a weird theory about that kind of it stuff. It could be coincidence, but then it's too coincidental. Yeah, you're like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could even be that. Um, it could even be what? What's his name? Frederick. It could be Frederick. It could be the other man who jumped from mm-hmm. oddly enough the tenth floor. Like, there's a lot of things it, it could, could be. It could be Frederick's wife. I mean, her husband passed away there. Yeah, she could be like, I don't know trying to relive the moment or trying to tell somebody that it was a homicide not a suicide yeah like these people did this whatever i don't know it's those types of those types of things that i feel like would keep you around the hotel's director of sales and marketing said guests described flickering lights at night or closet doors slamming by themselves some people have said that like in the hallway like lights would flicker and i saw one guy say He goes, I'm a professional electrician, and I can honestly tell you that all of those lights are linked together in the hallway. Oh, wow. One of them just would not be flickering by itself. He was like, it's actually like a fire code thing. Oh. And so, anyways, I was like, okay. There had also been reports of the words, help me, written on foggy bathroom mirrors. Yeah. There are multiple bathroom accounts, and they kind of weird me out just a tiny bit because you do have to dig to find not only the story of Mr. Sherrible, just the fact that he existed anyways, yeah. but where he was originally found and that he was supposedly struggling for his life in a bathroom. Like he, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like this is not common knowledge at all because when you look up the hotel, that stupid pregnant maid story, Effie pops up. Yeah. You can't, you don't find shit about Sherrible. It makes so, me wonder if even the... um the employees going forward like even especially today's employees if they even knew about him because I had actually heard um, some of the employee accounts from 2021 included they said that the most activity they've ever seen was um, there were several parts of the hotel but one of those was the third floor and I did not know why until you told me yeah Oh, uh, it finally happened. It's not a haunted episode without the chills. I know. It happened. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. So, a Bulls player could not explain why his bathroom door slammed shut. A member of the Phoenix Suns woke up to find his bathtub filled with water. Oh. The bathroom stuff. The bathroom stuff. I know. It all makes sense now. So, I went into reviews. I went to Google Reviews, TripAdvisor. I went to uh, Instagram, even. Just all kinds of shit. I went anywhere I could, just trying to look. And one review on TripAdvisor says, I'd heard stories of the hotel being haunted, specifically on the 10th floor, and I was on the 11th. One night as I was going to bed, all the lights were out, and I heard the distinct sound of a zipper being unzipped directly behind me. It's a hotel. People unpack and repack constantly, but the rooms are very well soundproofed, and I didn't ever hear so much as a peep out of any of the rooms next to me, so that sufficiently creeped me out for the night. Wow. Another one states, haunted, we think so. Around 3 a.m., a banging sound woke both of us up and sounded like it was coming from our side of the door to the room. Hubby got up to investigate, and the noise stopped. It was definitely coming from inside our room, but we saw nothing. No other issues, just a good night of sleep. 
Huh. A, a Google review said, although I do not believe in ghosts, the drawer in the bathroom vanity <laughs> was open in the morning, which I did not open the night before. Very odd. Despite my visitors, I would stay again. Like, I'm telling you, there's no fucking way these people know about the bathroom. Yeah, no. Like, there's no way these people know about the bathroom. You can Google search all damn day long, and I know you don't know about the bathroom. Granted, I only did a little tiny bit of research into this because I knew you were bringing a bunch of stuff to it. Um, So I just kind of wanted to, like, briefly look into it before I sat down with you today. And so I maybe did this for, like, an hour, uh, and I didn't find anything on Frederick. Not like nothing whatsoever. So that's why I couldn't understand, like, the third floor thing until you said that. But... I was still searching vigorously for an hour, so there's no way that half of these people staying there know about that story. I'm telling you, you could do, I and I, I'm serious, you could do like the top 100, you could go to YouTube and look at videos, you could go to Instagram, um, and you will not find that quote unquote suicide, you yeah. won't, like, it's not, it's just not there at all. And I, but I promise you, Effie's there. Friggin' Effie. Yeah. Effie, Effie. So, anyways. I think that's I'm so just strange. like, tell the real, they have done damage control like crazy girl. For oh, real. Yeah. I can imagine. Like crazy. I don't know. I'm like, it happened in 1913. Mm-hmm. Give the people what they want. Tell them. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. So, uh, there are a lot of people who can't explain what they hear, where it came from, or why they hear it and nobody else can. If it were just the pipes or just an old building or common electricity problems when something's over 100 years old, then absolutely everybody would experience the same thing. Yeah. I'm not sure why these types of things either only happen to some people at some points in time. They wake people up. Sometimes they're in broad daylight. It's not just people who are open to the subject and sensitive to these types of things. It's the non-believers as well. Um there's a website called MiamiGhostChronicles.com, and it claims five people died during the construction of the Skirvin, including two bricklayers who died during a scaffolding accident. And then there's a Nancy Jones in 1928 who allegedly poisoned herself there, and a Bob Anderson in 1933 who had a heart attack during his stay. Hmm. I'm not sure where they got any of that information from. I've looked up every combination of keywords I can think of and haven't come up with anything besides that website that has any of those names and dates associated with the skirt. Yeah. So, I don't know. but Uncorroborated. Um, Yes, and it's like, I mean, those are bold claims to throw out names and dates and how they died. Yeah. And to put it on the internet. You know, like, I don't I don't know. They got it from somewhere, but I don't know. Um, but with a building having that many rooms and staff over the course of a century, there's no way there haven't been multiple deaths and likely suicides. But they're either they're excellent at PR and damage control or this ur- urban legend Effie stuff has just pushed all the factual news extremely far back in the archives. And if you're someone who's ever experienced anything like this, you can understand why I find it hard to believe it's just one entity making their rounds in a place this size. Right. A ton of life was lived there. A lot of good times and memories and people who believed in this place so much that they made it their home. And if you don't believe in such a thing, I'm sure you can discount any strange noises just being chalked up to the building itself. I'm not sure about open drawers and full bathtubs, but I was told a thousand times that my bedroom drawer opening was just the wind by anyone who hadn't experienced my house. So yeah. I know you'd come up with something, but yeah. 
Um, I tried to see if anyone had done an actual paranormal investigation of the hotel to relay what activity they had found and where. Yeah. I'm absolutely positive there would be something. I uh, actually came up with something on that one. Okay, cool. I would fucking love to hear it because I didn't find anything. Um, they, since they prefer not to talk about it uh, and they dismiss the rumors... I wound up stumbling onto like two preteens and a mom running around the whole halls. I, I saw that one too. <laughs> the vending machine. Oh yes. my fucking but god! It was the ice machine. They and they were like, "Oh my god, yes. the noises!" They like open the closet and then she was like, "Run, run, run back to the room!" Yeah. And I was like, "I, no, that's not what I was there for." Girl, I'm so glad you suffered through that. Yes, I did. And that was actually called Fun and Crazy Kids on YouTube. I had to make sure, because I knew I was going to throw that in there. So I had to make sure to say what that was. Oh, you guys don't, just don't, don't go there. Yeah, I'm. well, it, it had the feel of, you know, it's too young teens or maybe even preteens and you know preteens for sure yeah and one of their moms and I feel like it was just their mom taking them out for you know a fun night of haunting and because she was like exacerbating everything she was like oh my gosh let's check out the you know whatever and like so but they did they did claim to hear knocking um one of them claimed that they were looking out the window and and turned around and when they turned back around the curtains were closed but Again, I think that this was just, uh, what do they call it? Hysteria. You know, when you get into that, you're in that mindset because you're going there for that thing. And then you kind of just make everything a big deal. I don't know. Or you're just 13 <laughs> and you make everything yeah. a big deal. I don't know. So let me tell you about um, the uh, what I found with the ghost hunting thing. Yes. Okay. So there are two... Um, there were two incidents. Now, one of them is not like a ghost hunter, but his name was Dr. Brian Farha, and he's a professor and director of applied um, behavioral studies at Oklahoma City University, and also the author of Pseudoscience and Deception, The Smoke and Mirrors of Paranormal Claims. So he had surveyed the Skirvin in 2004, to search for, I guess he just went there to search for ghosts and he took his wife with him. And he said, now he didn't experience anything himself, but he said his wife experienced some things where she had claimed that she heard ghostly laughter at some points. And he said, I walked every inch of every floor and found nothing of substance. Quote, and I did so under the creepiest of conditions, before the restoration, below freezing, with the electricity shut off, so a flashlight was the only means of visibility most of the time. Still, nothing was found, just an old, empty, cold hotel, end quote. So that was the first, like, little ghost hunting thing that I found. The next one was done by Tanya McCoy who is a ghost hunter who founded the Oklahoma Paranormal Association. And apparently, and I can't remember, I didn't write down when she went and did this, but um, she went and investigated herself. And she said, quote, you can just lay your hand on the wood downstairs and feel the energy. It's crazy. End quote. So she... And her oh and her God. husband and and she had all of these crazy apps and stuff like she had some ghost hunting 
app on her phone um, where she could see like the heat sensory or whatever. And then there's another one and I forget what it's called, but I even downloaded it on my phone to see like what the fuss was. And I kid you not, what it does is it like surveys through your camera and it will make these stick figures of where it thinks it sees something. Literally, it's just a stick figure. Like it'll put a line and then it might have two legs, two stick figure legs. And then it'll have a circle for where it thinks it sees a face. So if it sees just a face, it's just a circle. If it thinks it sees a person or a body or whatever, it's just, it's a whole ass stick figure. So I just want to throw that out there while I'm about to tell you. Okay. So they claimed to have caught a bunch of stuff while they were there. Um, on this app and there was it has a an extra part that you can download to the app that it um they were originally called ghost boxes you know that it would like scan through the channels and then while you're asking you got a question it would pull in random like um voices or whatever so that's also a part of this app and so they used both of those things uh and apparently got a lot from it found a lot of stuff stuff that they claimed were human beings ghosts or whatever like and then um the voice box kept telling them to get out obviously claims that it was a ghost and then at one point they were downstairs this is the only other big part like they were downstairs and there's this like couch down there and they asked where like where are you and the the box the voice box said seat and they were standing like they were right next to this couch so and then apparently they moved it over and there was you know an outline of this stick figure outline on the couch so i don't know i don't know like i why why is it always get out like entities are not always <laughs> fucking mad they don't want you out and i'm sorry like if it was it's a fucking hotel nobody wants you to get out if it's scurvin he certainly didn't want you to go yeah he, he'd be like bring your friends yes yeah <laughs> like maybe it was so. just that person in particular <laughs> <laughs> you you leave you specifically get out fuck you in particular (laughs) that's fucking wild to me still i know the third floor thing i mean i got that from so that is a claim from one of the the valet workers um that worked there in 2001 claimed that most of the activity that they had seen was on the third floor and then the manager at that time in 2001 her name was linda and she claimed that she saw activity a lot of activity from the cameras from the gift shop i don't know exactly what that activity was but i want to see that i know i want to see like what what she's talking about okay so there's a guy named bill simmons he has a show called any given wednesday it's a football thing anyway he was interviewing someone some football player he claimed that he was staying at the Skirvin Hotel and was woke up in the middle of the night by a ghost. And it, like, freaked him out so bad, like, he was freaked out for, like, four or five days afterwards. And then there was one claim that... Now, I don't know about this one or not. But anyway, this came from Reddit. And it said that this person shared a hotel room with their uncle. And they felt a mysterious being touching them inappropriately the night that they stayed. I'm pretty sure one of the NBA players has 
has said that too. I yeah, just yeah. Um, and then so okay, so my husband's claims. Now he was the second the second manager after they renovated. There was a manager there for 2007, I believe. And he came in and took over from that manager at the end of 2007 up until the end of 2009 or the beginning of 2010. He was there for two years. And while he isn't like super into, and it's not that he's not supernatural. Like he, it's the fact that when he's at work, he's in this whole other mode. And so... He dismissed a lot of stuff and like tell people like, no, go back to work. It's fine. But he did during his employment employment there had workers that would, he would hear them talking amongst themselves about things being moved, about doors being opened and closed on their own, the ethereal moans in the hallway, and um, even some coming from empty rooms where they would be um, going in to like clean the rooms and they would hear moans from, or moans or baby crying or all kinds of noises coming from inside and then they would open up the door and nothing would be in there and then he said at least among the latin american workers um there because they didn't like to speak about things like that uh he actually witnessed them shutting down other employees that were talking about it like no we don't talk about that stuff because i guess they felt like they were inviting it or whatever like if they talk about it they were drawing its attention or whatever so they didn't talk about it too much but obviously they believed in something there and then he himself recalls having to like move guests from room to room like move them to different rooms because the guests would claim they felt uncomfortable or like they were being watched in the room that they were in and sometimes they would just straight up ask for a refund and tell them that they were going to go stay with another guest who was there or leave completely he never experienced anything himself like at all but he talked to a lot of people who did like honestly from everything that i can tell it seems like it's seriously if it's not a 50 50 chance it's 60 40 yeah truly like high high odds that you're going to experience something there if not feel something that building does have it has a i don't know it has a feeling it has an emotion yeah I wish I could describe it without sounding crazy, but I just can't. I did mean to tell you, um, there were also talks about a lady in red. I don't know if you came across that at all. I didn't. Um, but um, I guess amongst some people who stayed there and some workers, there are claims to be a lady in red that never said anything. It was just in uh, like a red dress and they would see her like walking down the hallways and then like not be there two seconds later i've seen um i've seen a couple that claim they saw like early early 1900s hotel staff and i'm like how do you fucking know how do you know their hotel yeah. staff yeah like how did they necessarily dress any different than someone else who would be staying there as a guest or yeah. how would you know the difference like i didn't live in the 1900s i would just see someone dressed nicely well and that's that's the whole thing about effie is that in all of the stories that I've seen about Effie or heard about Effie, no one ever says they saw Effie and no one can ever describe Effie. And I don't know if this lady in red is supposed to also be Effie or a completely different, but 
Like I, you never hear anyone saying, well, I saw a woman and she was in an old maid's uniform. Like you don't like, you know, you don't, I haven't heard any of that. So it's just like, well, someone touched me inappropriately and I heard a woman whispering to me and stuff like that. No one ever actually sees her. If you, if you go on and you get to become some sort of apparition like me, am I going to fucking wear scrubs? God, I hope not. I no. hope not. I hope I get no. to pick what I wear when I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to dress like Jessica fucking rabbit. I'm yeah. No kidding. Scrubs. I don't know. No. no. So, yeah, you know, guys out there, if you have experienced Effie yourself, I'd love you to hear. <laughs> I'd love to hear your take. Um, if you've experienced anything in the Skirvin, we'd love to hear your take. I love that spooky shit. That's it. That's all the spooky shit for today. So go and enjoy the rest of your spooky night. Thanks for listening to this special Supernatural episode, Holly's Hauntings. Catch more next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?